Welcome to Focal Point, the podcast that shows you how to tap into the power of the internet in your business and your life. You can find us on the web at www.gihanperera.com forward slash podcast. That's G-I-H-A-N-P-E-R-E-R-A dot com. You can subscribe to the podcast, listen to all our past issues or leave comments for us. Now it's over to your hosts, Chris Padney and Gihan Pereira for this week's edition. Hello Chris, how are you going? Well thanks Gihan, how are you? Very well, Happy New Year to you. Happy New Year to, to you yes, too. Yes, I forgot to say this is the first recording that we're doing for uh, 2008, it's the 10th of January and uh, we're going to be talking about internet predictions for the year to so see how many ways we can be wrong. That's right. A prediction is that none of our predictions will be correct. <laughs> That's right. So how was your Christmas? Did you take a break? I did, Gihan. Yes, I was um, I was off for three weeks from work, and the last week of that was spent uh, south of Perth in Rockingham. How about yeah. you? Um, I found that quite a few people didn't go away, but they, I mean, like you didn't leave, really, really leave Perth, but lots of people hung around Perth or just went not very far away, but to have quite a lot of time off. Good for them. Good for us all. Yes. One That's thing that we that we both did over the break was that uh, thanks to Facebook, we caught up with um, graduate friends of ours from oh a couple of decades ago. Yes, that's right. It's one of the things that that you can do now, isn't it? There, where you do reconnect with people from past lives, and Facebook makes it a little bit easier for you to organise things like events. That's right. It certainly did. Although um, it. it for some reason, the event time was uh, a bit confused on Facebook, but nonetheless, we got together. Yes, that's right. I, I think, in fact, if we're going to be talking about internet predictions, Facebook might be one of those that comes up. It's certainly on my list, um, Okay. and I'm interested to see what's on yours. Actually, I'm interested to see what's on yours, so why don't we start with some of the things that, that you think are going to happen or not going to happen, Chris, in the next mm, 12 months? No worries. No worries, but before I do that, just following on from the Facebook thing, in, in looking up some other people's predictions, I came across a list of predictions for 2007 mm-hmm. um, that, that were made at the beginning of 2007, and one of them, I can't remember who it was, and I won't name them anyway, was that they predicted that Facebook wouldn't really go anywhere, um, so how wrong they were. Yes, that's right. In fact, I, I seem to remember that as well, that they saw Facebook as something which was still, was always going to be for graduates and undergraduates and that would expand beyond the, that. That was the prediction that it would, wouldn't go beyond uh, sort of the uh, graduates community. But, uh, yeah, that was a prediction that was um, is going to be as wrong as some of mine. <laughs> well, there's a friend of mine, Brandon Munro, who now lives in the Czech Republic. And when I was visiting him in November, one of the things that he said is he believes if you know what your Internet strategy is, you're already behind. <laughs> right. That makes so, it easy or difficult. So his point is that you you can't start something with a plan of where it's going to be in two years' time, for example. Yep. You start something with solid foundations, and then in two years' time, um, ideally, you position yourself to take advantage of whatever is the trend, wherever the trend's gone. Right, okay. Which is an interesting way of thinking. Yes. Right, yeah, well, that's okay. Well, that will lead us to our, to my to my two predictions in that case. And as I mentioned to you offline, um, um, the first prediction I have isn't a particularly bold one. In, in fact, it's one that's already coming true. And the second prediction I'm going to make is more of a, a hope rather than a, a dream, let's say, rather than a prediction. So the first one 
um, not a particularly bold prediction, Gihan, is that the internet is going to uh, get bigger, better, and faster, just as it has. That's just going to be a continuation of the trend that we've uh, seen in the internet for the last decade or so. Um, you know, so more and more people are going to be using the internet. There are going to be more websites, more services available on the internet, and access to them. The penetration of broadband, for instance, is is going to become wider. So access to the internet is going to become faster. Mm. And uh, sort of that leads on from Brand, what Brandon was saying, isn't it? That just this continual um, growth in the internet, bigger, better, faster, is why you can't have an internet strategy uh, and go forward based on that, because things are changing as a result of that. That yeah, that's right. And I think, Chris, even though you say that's something which isn't a bold prediction and people would say, well, of course, the Internet will keep growing, uh, I think perhaps one of the things you're saying is that it will keep growing at a reasonable rate rather than the growth slowing down. So I think yeah. Like broadband and even the Web 2.0, the whole phenomenon of people uploading, not just downloading, means that now it's going to, there, there, are new, there are new things that we wouldn't have envisaged a year ago. That's right, exactly, exactly. So, yeah, it, it's it's not going to plateau off. Um, and I, I haven't read any predictions, but some people might reasonably think, you know, everyone, most people have got Internet access, say, in the US and Australia and, and the developed Western economies. And so, you know, things are going to start plateauing out. Um, we saw that with so, sort of like mobile phone um, ownership and, and PC ownership. But with the Internet, um, there's still a long way to go in, say, the developing economies like or the growing economies of India and China and Russia. There's there's plenty of scope for growth there. So that the Internet community of users and, and websites is going to can still grow enormously in, in those regions. I think one of the other things that will happen in some of those regions is that there are countries who are, by our standards, very backward in technology and suddenly they're going to be exposed to this and have it available and accessible to them, and they may even jump a couple of generations. Yeah. I, I saw this happening in um, in Vietnam when I visited Vietnam, which was quite a while ago now, five or six years ago, and I saw everyone has mobile phones. But the the terrestrial system, like normal landlines, um, that the quality is still pretty poor. Right. And uh, I think that Vietnam has just skipped that whole generation of having landline phones, and gone straight to mobile. Right, yes. And and the same thing can happen with regard to internet access as well. With Vietnam and with uh, you know somewhere like Australia where we have this um, a bit of a problem with our, our copper network is that things like WiMAX, which is sort of like broadband internet, that might give us the opportunity to sort of break from the, the shackles of, of the, the Telstra monopoly and, and get on with having wireless broadband um, um, access that um, allows us to get much faster access than we're kind of stuck with. Um, yeah, that's right. That's right. And uh, in some ways, we might be, uh, it might be a bit of a burden for us that we're stuck with some of the technology that we've already got, and that might inhibit us from moving forward, whereas countries which don't even have what we'd consider basic technology um, mm -hmm. are forced to move forward, and of course, they're going to get the biggest, uh, the, the newest and best thing available. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so that was uh, that was my first prediction. And related to that, uh, one of the predictions I read, um, I can't remember again who made this this particular prediction, but that was uh, that someone predicted that 2008 was going to be the year that the internet went mobile. I think that might have been a prediction made by others in previous years, mm -hmm. but that with things like WiMAX broadband, 
wireless broadband and the continual improvement in portable devices like the amount of memory and and screen resolution and battery power that um, mobile phones and handheld devices have that um, we're going to find that a lot more users aren't sort of tied to a desktop, that they're, they're out there accessing the internet using mobile devices. Um, yep, and that would be my, if I had to make one biggest prediction, that would be my biggest prediction. Oh, right, okay. Because I think, right. I think that, that the whole concept of accessing your internet from your home office is, is dying. That, that, I mean, it's still around, but the idea is now more and more people are buying laptops I mean, a couple of years ago, everyone was buying laptops. Now they're buying mobile phones and pocket PCs and other devices um, where they can get into internet access. It's almost expected now, and you'd be surprised if some device that you buy doesn't have it. Right, okay. On your recent trip, Gihan, how did you uh, go with mobile access to the internet? Well, I did exactly that. So I didn't want to carry a laptop around with me in a backpack mm -hmm. because most of the trip was holiday, even though a little part of it was work. So I bought a pocket PC, okay. and um, the pocket PC is about the size of a, a physical notebook, if you like, like an A5 type notebook. Um, it's very slim. Um, it has a it has a tablet type touch screen on it. Okay. And um, when I was travelling, I remember sitting in, a, in cafes in Paris, just connected to some wireless network that was freely available. And I was able to send email, check email, update my Facebook account, and do the sort of things which would have been impossible maybe even 12 months or two years ago. Right. Right. Okay. All right. Well, you've had one prediction. I've had one prediction. I'll move on to my second one then. Yes. And as I said, this is more of a hope than a prediction, and that is um, the death of what's called DRM. DRM stands for Digital Rights Management, and it's the scheme by which... Um, content producers, particularly um, downloadable music files and downloadable uh, movies by which copyright protection or anti-piracy mechanisms are implemented. And from my point of view as a legitimate user of those sorts of things, I just consider DRM to be a real handicap, a nuisance that gets in the way of the way that I might want to use um, downloadable content. So um, I'm hoping that will come to an end in 2008. and, and it, it looks like sort of the death knell has been sounded because stores like iTunes and Amazon are starting to offer uh, music files without any DRM. You just download them and you're free to use them in whatever fashion uh, you like, whereas previously files that had DRM um, installed in them meant that you were, you were limited into, in the kind of software you could play them on or the number of copies you could make to, if you wanted to have one on your music player or one on a CD for listening to in your car or a backup copy, um, then you were just really hamstrung in the number of ways and, and uses that you could uh, use those files with DRM attached. So it seems that uh, the uh, retailers at least have seen the light of day and uh, are starting to offer content without DRM. So they're not punishing the legitimate users in, in implementing anti-piracy techniques. So let's hope okay. that uh, 2008 sees the fulfilment of the of the end of DRM in that in that way. Okay, so I guess what you're saying is that a few years ago, um, it it may have there there was a legitimate argument to say, well, if you're buying a piece of music and you're you're buying a CD, then 
there's no reason why you'd want to copy it because you buy the CD and you play the CD. If you want a friend to have it, you lend them the CD and they return it to you. Sure. And that would have been that would have been a reasonable argument at that time. But I think what you're saying now is the CD is the same, but the way it's used has changed so much. So I might buy a CD and legitimately want to play it on my iPod or burn it to my laptop so I can have it available when I'm traveling yeah. or do a number of other things with it. And now the the old the old protection system actually stops users from using it in in what should be legal ways. That's right. Sort of fair use, kind of as I think it's termed fair use. So making copies of it for backups, um, and you know, if I want to listen to it on, uh, if if I buy it from iTunes, for instance, if I want to go and listen to it on my CD player in the lounge room, or I want to listen to it in my car on the CD player there, or listen to it on the the CD player in my or the music player in my PC, then you know I need to be able to move it around. And you are the DRM techniques as they stand, sort of count the number, limit you to the number of copies that you can make, um, and so you have to be cautious. You're you're encumbered uh, to use it legitimately, so they sort of they constrain you in the way that you can do things, and and it becomes a handicap um, a, a, as a way of, in, of implementing anti-piracy. Mm. So yeah, it seems to to punish legitimate users, and the pirates always find a way around it anyway. So it's it's a kind of a, a wasted effort. On, on the part of the companies, the retailers, or the or the yes, the record companies. That is. Well, actually, something you just said leads me on to one of my predictions, which is something which is the spam is going to go up. All oh, right, <laughs> a very safe <laughs> prediction, then, Gihan. Yes, although you know, like I think at the start of last year, which is 12 months ago, and maybe even about 18 months ago people were predicting that spam was going to kill the internet, therefore Microsoft and the technology companies were going to find a solution for spam very soon. Oh, and right. they haven't. No. And, um, the, the thing that, um, that you mentioned, Chris, you said that it hurts legitimate users but um, doesn't stop the people who really are the pirates. Now, I think the spam issue is the same thing, that governments have legislated against spam, which makes no real difference. Um, if you're a legitimate business user, you now have to follow all these rules about unsubscribes and getting permission and keeping records and so on. Mm-hmm. But the spammers don't care, so they're not affected by that at all. And legitimate business users are, because they just have to put a, they have, they have to put some more effort in to making sure they've got that they've got clean mailing lists. Right. Um, and I. I don't see that in the next 12 months there will be an end to that spam problem. Right, no. And if and you can think of a solution, Gihan, we'd all be grateful. <laughs> you know, the yeah. funny thing is that, um, well, it's not that funny actually, but we were talking about the volume of like, the, the internet growing. Um, I read one estimate that said 90% of the traffic on the internet is spam. Right. I would so believe it. It's a ridiculously high, it's a ridiculously high volume. And um, people complain about how much email they're getting in their inbox, but in fact, everyone's getting that. Um, and it'd be interesting, like if you could get rid of 90% of the internet traffic, would you have to invest in faster networks and things like that? Probably not. That's <laughs> right. It's a good yes. Yeah, so it's a good thing that uh, the technology underpinning the internet is uh, getting bigger, better, and faster because it needs to in order to cope with the increased spam traffic. That's right. Yeah. That's right. I think the other thing, um, and we, we touched on this Facebook idea earlier, Chris, I think that um, Facebook 
no one could have predicted the way that it grew, except maybe the owner of it who keeps turning down multi-million dollar offers to buy him out. Million dollar offers. Yes, yes, and even billion dollar offers to buy him out. Yeah. Um, so he obviously sees some potential in it. I I find the Facebook phenomenon fascinating because Facebook seems to be a site that's got a huge database, a huge following, and almost no intrinsic value except the database. So right. I, it seems to be similar to something which you and I, I'm sure, remember about 10 years ago when a whole bunch of companies started setting up free services to build up databases. And that, of course, led to the dot-com crash. Yes. And um, I don't see Facebook as being very different from that. Um, it has paid advertising, so it has sponsors, and you can click on their ads. But click-through rates have just gone down. They're just, they're just so low now. Um, they're less than 1%. They are, are they? Yes. On, on banner ads and that sort of thing? Yes. Right. That's right. Oh, yeah, that's right, on things like banner ads. So I can't imagine that Facebook is getting its is getting a huge amount of revenue from that. So I can only think that somebody who's investing in Facebook will be so say buying it out, will be buying it for the database like they did with the Skype database like eBay did with the Skype database a That's few right. years ago. Yeah. And that wasn't a success. It wasn't. Eventually they had to write off a lot of that um, that right. investment. Yeah, so you're saying that um in terms of monetizing traffic through paid advertising, that it, there's, a, there's very little value there for Facebook. So it's really just the membership. I think it is. I think it is just the membership, and I still strongly believe in the value of a database. Um, but I just wonder how much it's worth, really, if you can't if you can't do something with that later. And I, I think the like I'm a, I'm a big fan of having communities and databases and building up mailing lists. The, the big question that I have with Facebook is that Facebook is not a niche market. Right. So the members are just from everywhere. That's exactly so, right. I mean, it started out as a niche, didn't it? But it grew from that niche. That's right. Now, you, you could say it started off as a niche of Harvard graduates or undergraduates. Hmm. But then if you look at it as a market, so what, what would, do they buy? And you could say, well, okay, they, there are certain goods and services that you'd like to sell to that group of people. Mm-hmm. Um, but now that Facebook is open to everybody, um, I think it's much harder to market to everybody yes. and to do it profitably, yeah. um, even if you have access to them. <laughs> yeah, okay, that's interesting. So, um, so maybe you can, uh, you're going to recast the prediction that someone made at the beginning of 2007 that Facebook's going to go nowhere. Um, yeah, well, I, I think it'll continue growing. I don't think it'll die out. Uh, but I think one of the things that's going to come out of that, and this is why, uh, this is why I made the, the comment that I did, Chris, is that I think one of the things that is going to build is membership sites, right? So or communities, if you like, so places where people who are involved in some particular activity gather together. Right. So my sister, for example, is a big fan of scrapbooking, and she does it, and she does it very well, and she does it as a bit of a business as well. I think there will be a community for scrapbooking businesses, uh, maybe even work-from-home mothers who are involved in scrapbooking businesses. And there will be these little pockets that build up uh, in very, very small community, in very, very small niches, but those communities will have value. Right, so niche community sites. That's right. Does Facebook 
already offer that sort of thing? Can you set up groups and and sub-communities, like there's the UWA network, I'm not, I'm not sure of the terminology, that's why I'm pausing here, that um, Facebook users, so you and I are part of the UWA alumnus, we're part of the Australia group or network. How does that overlap with the, the niche community that you've just been describing? Um, I, I think there is some overlap. I think the difference is that if you set up your own niche community, you control it. Whereas with right. Facebook, the community, like you can set up any community, you can set up a little group for scrapbooking work-at-home mums. Um, and all the members of Facebook who are interested in that can join that community. I think as a business opportunity, there'll be more businesses setting up niche communities themselves outside of Facebook. Right. So they control the community. They can then put in advertising or other ways of generating money from it. Yeah. So I think that's one of the things that's going to happen. I think it'll, the big communities are going to get fragmented. And I don't mean literally they're going to get fragmented. I mean that there will be more, more and more and more little communities than there will be a few big communities like Facebook and MySpace. Right. So the big players will remain and the rest will focus on smaller communities. Yes, and you know what, Chris, this happened um, about five years ago with a slightly different model where Google ad when Google Advertising first started, um, after the dot-com crash, when the big players actually crashed and crashed and burned, there were people making lots of money from the internet, but they were making in little niche markets, little communities who were just selling little e-books or um, small tutorial videos online. Um, targeted at a very, very, very small niche, and they're doing very well out of it. Hmm. Okay. So I think the principle of community is still valuable, and the principle of niche is still valuable and valid, and people will just take advantage of it in different ways. Right. What do you think will happen to Google? Um, good question. Uh, it's not going to go away. It's not going to shrink. I think it'll continue to grow. I'm just trying to recall a couple of predictions I saw about Google, and that is, um, again, it was a, a prediction from the beginning of 07. I think it was the same mob who made the Facebook prediction that um, they would continue to have mixed success um, outside of their core business, which is search. So Google you know, has launched various um, other properties like um, Frugal, for instance, although that's also search. Um, and it also has its own community website, its own uh, social networking website and that sort of thing, but they haven't been as successful, they haven't really grown into big successes themselves. So I think, again, it might be a bit of hit and miss for Google. Well, my feeling is that um, even though I still use Google a lot, I'm now using other resources as well. And those resources tend to be more community-type resources, like a Facebook group, for example, mm -hmm. or a discussion forum on the web, where I can ask a direct question and get the response from a real person because they're part of that community and they realize that by responding, they give us some of their time free, but in return, somebody's going to answer their question later. Right. It's a bit like the Internet was 20 years ago, Chris, when you and I first started using it. A bit like Usenet, for instance. Yes, where there were discussion groups, and that was the main, that was the core of the Internet. There was, well, there was that an email, mm -hmm. but there's no way, but it wasn't commercial, but it was user communities. 
Mm-hmm. And uh, I think that Google has to tap into that somehow. Yes. Was did they have was it Google who had the answers or experts? Um... Yes. So there still is Google Answers. Google Answers, and it's yep. based on communities of or communities of experts, isn't it? You you have to be a nominated expert by by Google, and then and then just any member. Anyone can come along and ask questions which are answered by the, the various experts. That's right, although that was more of an advertising, like a bulletin board. Right. Like a, it's almost like a jobs wanted board, except instead of searching for a job, you actually search for the answer to one particular question. Mm-hmm. So you advertise to say you'd like to know about the growth of the internet in China right. in the last three years, and then people would bid on your question and say, well, I can give you the answer, it'll cost you $10, and somebody else... Oh, right, okay. I can give you the answer, it'll cost you 9 Right, okay. So, in that sense, it was more just a forum for advertising, rather than a forum where people actually got together and got to know each other and started communicating with each other and really, really treating it as, as a community. Mm-hmm. Okay, right. So, um, I, I think Google will will change, because I think it'll have to change. Um, and I think the other thing is, Chris, uh, the... The, the one point that I'm pushing with all my clients at the moment um, who are building websites and looking to demonstrate their expertise through their websites is you've got to convince people you're an expert before they get to your website. Right. And this is a big change. It's a big change. Previously, uh, before websites were around, there was no way to convince, you, convince people you're an expert on the internet. Then the website came along and became the place where you go to if you'd like to find out somebody's expertise. Whereas now, I think the whole Web 2.0 phenomenon has led to people find experts first on the internet and then go to their website for to buy products and services from them. Right. So the whole... It, it's a different way of searching then, isn't it, really? It's about. It's not about going to an indexing engine like Google and, and typing in a few keywords. It's more about asking a question of an expert it's a more a more human interface isn't it that's that's right and it could um it doesn't necessarily mean that you don't get that answer from a website it just may not be your website so for example like i'm sure you've done a lot of google searches chris where you search you search for some word and one of the first entries that comes up is a wikipedia entry yes yes now if that wikipedia entry happens to have a reference at the bottom saying it was written by so and so then that's an example where you might go to that person's website because you've been impressed by their Wikipedia entry. Mm-hmm. Um, or, you, or you search somewhere and you find that the, one of the top responses that comes up is an answer in a forum somewhere, some discussion forum. You click on it, read the answer in the forum, see who wrote it and go to their website. And I think there's just going to be more and more of that. So if, I think if anything is going to shift in the way that Google works, it's going to be giving higher priority to those sort of websites. Okay. Now, I've got no proof of that, and that's just a guess, but I think that Google will have to do that because the reason Google became a success is because people use it and found it valuable. And I think that in the same way that you said that, that DRM now is getting in the way of people doing what they want to do, I think Google's way of searching will get in the way of what people are looking for now. Right. So the world has changed and Google has to follow. Okay. So, yes, it's more about um, when Google uses the page rank as, as a 
as a way of of um, giving a, a search result a, a level of relevance to a particular question or query. So in some way they need to incorporate sort of the expertise of of a particular website as a, as part of the mix of um, ranking. Um, yeah, that's a result. that's a good point because a page rank is basically, in very simplistic terms, just says how many people are linking to you. Yeah. And therefore, if lots of people are linking to you, this it must be it must be a good page. I mean, I guess that's it in simple terms, isn't it? That's it. It's it is simplistic, and that's perhaps why it's as you say getting in the way now. And so perhaps a more sophisticated and accurate means of of getting relevance and expertise in the, in that page rank algorithm is needed. That's right. And it may be a case of how much traffic's coming to the page. Um, how much traffic's coming from credible sources. So maybe the whole idea of just number of links isn't enough. Maybe it's going to be the volume of traffic as well. Yeah. Yes, which can be self-reinforcing. And and so, you know, you need to combat against that. If, you, if you're the number one hit, you're going to get a lot of traffic, and so you're going to remain the number one hit. But also, um, um, so getting back to this idea of communities, where communities are more human-driven and... and um, people sort of referring to and and traffic based out of those websites might be a bit more um, accurate in terms of measuring expertise or relevance of a particular a particular web page yeah that's right that's right so that's my big prediction I think okay. that Google will have to change and uh, in 12 months time we'll have a look and see whether Wikipedia and forums and other things are coming up at the top of Google yeah, well, as you've as you've just uh, mentioned, Wikipedia certainly is, isn't it? Uh, I mean, so many searches these days for just phrases or words, and uh, it's the Wikipedia entry that's um, that's way up there. Yeah, that's right. Um, and I guess I've got a little bit of knowledge about this, and you may have seen this as well, Chris. Google's inventing its own competitor to Wikipedia called Knoll, yes. K N O L, um, where it's going to. It, and uh, the experts seem to say that it's it's uh, going to be a direct competitor for Wikipedia in Google's in Google's eyes, so that Google can have control of Wikipedia-like content. Yes, yes, yeah. Well, that's that, that's sort of uh, a first step towards the kind of thing we were just discussing, isn't it? Because if those if those authoritative sources are developed, you know, uh, on a Google property, then they've immediately got. Um, they, they immediately sort of corner that market, don't they, of expert knowledge? That's right. That's right. And Google's still got its its, its mission to be the world's biggest information store. And uh, I think it's just it's still on that same path. It's still got that same target. It's just choosing different ways of getting there. Mm. And 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 you're suggesting they're going to need to do that in order to achieve that mission? I think so. I think so. And it's that's just the case with every business, whether you're a small retailer or whether you're one of the biggest internet companies. I think you've got to do that. You've just got to recognize the way that the internet is changing and has changed in the last two years and take advantage of that in whatever ways you have whatever ways are now going to work and may not have worked before. Yeah. Okay. So check back in a year's time, Gihan. That's right. I think we should, we'll do that. In 12 months' time, we'll come back and have a look at some of the predictions that we made and see how well we went. Absolutely. But uh, next time, we won't be in 12 months' time. It'll be in a couple of weeks' time. Yep. And we'll talk about something else.
We will. Um, so we haven't chosen a topic yet. Um, I think we should ask all our listeners to email us if they have any suggestions for topics. And the way to do that is to email Gihan, G-I-H-A-N, at gihanperera.com, G-I-H-A-N-P-E-R-E-R-A.com. So that's it from us. Thank you again, Chris. It's been a pleasure. Indeed. And you too, Gihan. Look, looking forward to working with you in 2008. Likewise. Thanks. Bye for now. Bye, Gihan. You've been listening to the Focal Point Podcast. You can find us on the web at www.gihanperera.com forward slash podcast. That's G-I-H-A-N-P-E-R-E-R-A.com. Subscribe to the podcast, listen to all our past issues, or leave us your comments and questions. We look forward to having you back next time.